Welcome back to Beyond the Bracket, a special edition series of a Sports Beat Casey podcast that's here to cover everything March Madness, presented by the First Federal Bank of Kansas City. I'm Lila Bromberg, and each week I'm bringing on reporters and columnists from around the country to discuss college hoops. We've made it all the way to the Final Four, and there are plenty of storylines to get into, and we have two insiders into two of the Final Four teams on today's episode. I'm joined by Jesse Newell, who covers the Kansas Jayhawks for the Kansas City Star, and Steve Wiseman, who covers the Duke Blue Devils for the News and Observer. I know this is such a busy time for you both. You guys have had some hectic travel, so thanks so much for coming on. Glad to be with you guys. I mean, it's a joy to be on. Yeah, yeah. This is a busy time of year, but fun time of year. So, uh, yeah, let's get to it. So we have a very blue blood Final Four coming up in New Orleans. Of course, as we mentioned, Duke and Kansas on opposite sides of that bracket. The Jayhawks will face Villanova in the first game on Saturday, followed by quite the historic matchup between Duke and North Carolina, which is the first ever meeting for those two rivals in the NCAA tournament. And we'll get into previewing all of that. But first, I want to get some updates from you both on the programs you cover in the tournament so far. So, Steve, let's start with Duke here, the Blue Devils. Lost to North Carolina in Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor to end the regular season. They then lost to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament final. And it, it really seemed like all that pressure of this last shot for Coach K, all the buzz around that was starting to get to them. What do you think has changed since then, especially for this being such a young group? Yeah, um, it, it really was. The, the pressure was was too much for them, particularly that Carolina game, uh, the build up to that and you know, the coaches all said they tried to prepare the kids for it as best they could. But afterwards, they just realized that it was just it just proved too much. You, you don't know what you don't know until you go through it. And, it. and, you know, maybe they would have planned things differently. Who knows? But uh, it just didn't work out. And then there was still kind of the hangover of, of effect that you mentioned. Uh, they won two games in, in Brooklyn, uh, beat Syracuse in Miami to reach the championship game. And they really wanted to get, you know, that that championship banner for Coach K and uh, they just fell apart in the second half against Virginia Tech and didn't have the defense they needed to to win that game. So uh, after that, they had they had three hard days of practice in Durham before they went to Greenville for the uh, South Carolina for the um, NCAA tournament. There was there were a lot of you know soul searching uh, conversations, player only meetings, uh, all the stuff that you would expect of you know the last shot. This was really the finality of it. The next class was going to be Coach K's last, and also this team's last chance to play together because most of them are going to the NBA after this year. So uh, they really made a commitment to defense. They've, they've played a lot better defense and they closed out, uh, you know, a couple of games in the tournament that I don't think they would have closed out in the regular season, uh, the win over Michigan state in the second round and the win over Texas tech in the third round. So uh, they're, they're really um, playing at their, at their highest level at the right time. It's kind of like guys in spring training saying they're in the best shape of their lives, but uh, this is what they want. They're proving it on the court. They're they're looking better than they have all year. And you mentioned before we started recording the kind of use of the zone defense for, for Duke in the second half, which is not something that they would traditionally do in the role that's played throughout the tournament. Could you tell us a bit about that and just how big that's been for this team? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, coach K always is a, um, you know, a staunch believer in man-to-man defense from the Bobby Knight School of, of Defensive Coaching. And that's been one of Duke's staples, the whole slap the floor man-to-man defense approach. And but over the last few years, he's he's mixed in more zone than ever. And part of that comes from when he was in USA basketball coaching with Jim Beheim, who obviously plays the two-three at at Syracuse uh, extensively. And uh he's uh, Coach K came around to, to use having the zone there kind of in the toolbox 
man-to-man is their base defense. If you look at synergy, they played man-to-man 95, 96% of the time. But in the second half of the last few games here in the NCAA tournament, when they've had trouble with teams driving to the basket, you know, beating guys off the dribble and, and, and getting the big center, Mark Williams, kind of out of position uh, inside, uh, it, it, the zone has made a huge difference. They've put that in, kind of surprised teams with it, uh, and it, it's really halted uh, those, those defensive breakdowns that Duke had, even if it's just for a short period, even if it's just for five minutes of the second half, it kind of settles things down and it gets Duke's offense going. And that's how they won the game, particularly against Texas tech, uh, in, in the sweet 16. Uh, that was a, that was a big part of things. And then against Arkansas, uh, Arkansas got within five points in the second half after being down double digits most of the game. And, uh, uh, Duke called a timeout, put the zone in Duke went on a 10 0 run. They got a couple of block shots at the rim by Williams and, and off they went. So uh, uh, you wouldn't think in, in coach K's last year that the zone would save his team and get him to the final four, but after 42 years, that's where we are. And, and Jesse, you know, for you on the other side of this bracket, when the bracket came out, I mean, a lot of people were talking about Kansas having, you know, kind of the one of the easier paths to the final four, but the last one seed left standing, knocking off uh, Texas Southern Creighton Providence and, most recently Miami to get there, holding all those teams, you know, on average to less than 60 points a game. What has, you know, stuck out to you the most about the run that Kansas has been on? Yeah. And real quick, Steve, uh, that zone defense is something KU familiar with because in the 2018 elite eight, uh, KU was able to find a few openings in the corners against it uh, when Duke was playing their super huge lineup too, but uh, Duke was leading in that game by three late too. So they had a chance to win before uh, Spee had a little bit of magic and Devontae had a little magic to, to put that in overtime. And uh, obviously Grayson Allen shot rimmed out there at the end of regulation, but uh, yeah, for Kansas, I mean, raise hand here uh, talking about the easy bracket. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I thought going in for Kansas, you know, the, usually I'm the one standing there saying, Hey, these, these teams that are lined up in front of them are pretty tough. And it seems like KU's road was difficult. And that's something obviously I said last year when they had not only USC, but Gonzaga potentially waiting for them if they continue to advance, but not only did KU get a, a nice draw, then they had teams in front of them that were their biggest competition fall out. You know, Iowa dropped out in that first round. Uh, Auburn was a team that, that, you know, didn't make it. And I think what it just does for Kansas is, <laughs> Uh, we talk about what to expect from Coach K this time of year. What you can expect from Kansas usually is playing tight in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it just feels like they aren't really even playing basketball the first few games. They're just so worked up and they're so nervous and they know that the weight of the world is on their shoulders. But, you know, against Creighton uh, especially and, um, you know, against Providence, you can play that way. And yet if you're an 11 and a half point favorite or a seven and a half point favorite, you just have some wiggle room. You know, you have some opportunity to not play that well. And you're not playing a team like a Gonzaga or a Kentucky or a Duke that really can deliver that knockout blow when you're not playing well. So I think for Kansas, what it did was it allowed them to kind of play through those nerves. And even a team like Miami, I mean, when you go have a game in the elite eight, you're not expecting to be a six point favorite in that game. So KU was down by six against Miami after not playing well in the first half, but when you're playing Miami, you can come back. When you're playing Gonzaga, you can't. You know what I'm saying? So I think it just allowed Kansas enough time to kind of find itself. And then obviously that second half against Miami, it finally came off. The lid came off for them. They started to play loose. They started to play free. You could see guys just start to relax. And, uh, man, when, when it came through, it came through in a big way. And so that's where Kansas is. 
You're not going to apologize for your draw. Okay, you will not apologize for it. They won't take down the banner because of that, but I think they definitely were helped along the way by getting this particular path and having some teams in front of them fall before that they, the Jets could get to them. Yeah, I mean, that looseness seems like a thing for both. Oh, sorry, you're going to go ahead, Steve? Oh, no, I was just going to say, hey, there's no apologizing for bracket luck. <laughs> That's how you get through this tournament. It happens, right? No, I mean, North Carolina's in it because – they created their own bracket luck by knocking off Baylor, but then, you know, St. Peter's took care of Kentucky and Purdue who had pounded Carolina during the year. So that happens. Duke got a little bit of it when Gonzaga got knocked off by Arkansas uh, and Duke had beaten Gonzaga earlier in the year, but I'm not sure that matchup would have been good for Duke the second time because this Duke team has, has when they've beaten somebody kind of watching the next uh, meeting, kind of like, uh, we got this, we already took care of them. You know, it happened against Carolina, having against Virginia tech. Uh, but if they lose to somebody, it's, it's a different attitude. So, yeah, no apologizing for bracket, bracket luck. That's that's March. Well, and that's, that's the thing about the tournament, Steve. And you could probably speak to this for Duke. And, and this might be kind of a topic of conversation for us here is the perception of this Kansas team all year. And I don't think it's wrong is that this is not one of Bill Self's best teams. It's just not. I mean, if you want to compare this to other Kansas teams. It's not it hasn't been dominant start to finish. It hasn't had a bunch of NBA players. It hasn't been the team where you go, oh, my God, this team is destined to make a run. I mean, as, as recent as three weeks ago, I was trying to talk KU fans out of, hey, this team is absolutely going to lose in the first weekend, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but you talk about the bracket and how it falls to you. Just like you can't make excuses when you have a tough one and can't make it out, you also don't apologize when it opens up for you. So, again, right. I, I could I could rattle off here. I could say, hey. Look, 2017 KU was better, and 2016 KU was better, and 2010 KU was better, and 2011 KU was better than this year's team. Those teams didn't make the Final Four. It could have been, hey, you, you ran into a tough Villanova team, you had bad luck, whatever the case may be, you ran into a hot shooting team. But the bottom line is, you know, they don't – I wrote this in the story earlier there, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said, they don't strike the schedule Final Four banners. <laughs> they don't go back and look at that. I mean, that's that's not part of the banner. It's like, oh, well, here's the teams you face. No, it says – Final four. And so when that road opens up in front of you, you take advantage. And that's what Kansas did. I mean, they had that road. You don't apologize for it. You can't change it, but they took advantage. And again, were able to play through some of those nerves that they had early on, able to get those four victories. So a credit to them for doing that. I mean, but even with kind of that path opening up, I mean, I was going to ask you about that. This isn't the most talented Kansas team, but has been able to get this far. I mean, what is it that you think makes this group special that has allowed them to you know, regardless of bracket or, or whatever to get to this point and like, what is it that makes them click with not necessarily having that same level of talent? Well, um, and that's probably a really good question for, for Steve too, for Duke, but yeah. um, for Kansas, I think, so it's funny. I mean, I talk about how March 1st, Kansas lost at TCU and the sky was falling. This team is going to lose in the second round. They're like every other Bill Self team, all that stuff. But it's interesting because nobody wants to lose, but sometimes that really can refocus a team. And I've heard talked to multiple guys who said that in the locker room, Ochai Baji is usually kind of a stoic guy, pretty even keeled. And uh, that was KU's second straight loss. They just lost at Baylor too. And now they had to win both of their remaining games to have a share of the Big 12 title. And I guess he stood up in there and said, my senior year is not going out this way. That's it. That's enough. That sort of thing. And guys, I mean, obviously he's the leader on the team, but for him to speak up in that moment, guys started paying more attention to scouting report. Guys started to lock in defensively. And you've heard this Bill Self mantra, and, um, you know, he loves talking about this. He loves winning games when Kansas doesn't play well. Like he, he wants to make the other team play worse, even if you're not playing well. And this team's really bought into it. I mean, we talk about uh, what they've done recently. Kansas 
before the or after that TCU game, they were hanging around in the late the back end of the 40s in adjusted defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. Right now they're 17th. I mean, you go from 48 to 17 in three weeks' time, that means you're doing something right defensively. So KU is their switches have been better, their communication's been better. They've had guys like Remy Martin, uh, who's gotten his burst back and has tried a lot harder on the defensive end, has taken more pride in that, which is something Bill Self has tried to demand from the beginning of the season. So there's a lot of credit to go around, but I think mostly it's just a mindset that happened after that TCU game that the guys kind of looked at each other and said, hey, enough's enough. This thing needs to change. It needs to turn around. And it started with Ochai Abadji in the locker room, standing up and, and saying something he wouldn't have said in his previous three years at Kansas. And I think that really got Kansas going. And Duke is a younger team. I mean, a lot of guys that it's a very freshman-led team are kind of younger guys. I mean, who is that guy in the locker room for them, Steve? Yeah, they don't have any senior starters who are going to stand up and say anything because they they don't have any senior starters. So, <laughs> but uh, Makes you it know, tough. <laughs> yes, uh, Wendell Moore is a junior. He's a team captain. Uh, he's he played. This is his third year, and weirdly, pandemic, all that. This is the first time he ever played in the NCAA tournament at Duke. That's obviously never happened in Coach K's time, but it happened this time because of all that happened. But uh, so Wendell uh, became the guy that you know he's he's the one talking. Uh, he told me that in, in these player meetings they had throughout the year, but more uh, more so later in the year, that it used to be he would do a lot of talking, and, and his co-captain is, is senior Joey Baker, who's a deep reserve. He doesn't play very much, but um, he those two would talk. But now as it got later in the year, other people stood up and said things that needed to be said, and and they learned that, like especially like Paulo Bancaro, who uh, is obviously the most talented player on the team, he's going to be a top-five NBA pick. Um, he didn't... Uh, have the drive sometimes he needed and it, it, it was more he was almost too unselfish like with the ball like he should he could beat people off the dribble and score like an NBA guy should in college basketball right and sometimes he'd do that and pass off to somebody and, or not take the shot or turn it over because he wasn't being strong enough with it and and there was talk to him he he said you know some things about he needs to take charge of things and and be less you know be more unselfish you know be more selfish I guess instead of unselfish um that that's been a big difference for Duke and also their back to the defense, their connectedness on defense. They're, they're a team that switches all over the court. Uh, they didn't do that against Arkansas, but they did it almost other rest of the time. They, that's how they play the defense. And um, that involves a lot of communication on the court, a lot of talking. Uh, uh, Mark Williams, uh, the big center in the middle is a sophomore. He's not a big talker. That's just not, he doesn't come all across that way. Uh, Moore has to do it. Uh, you know, they, they want to get Williams. He's in the back of the defense. So he has to do a lot of calling of screens and things like that. Uh, it's happened more now as, as this tournament has un, un, unfolded, because again, they, they saw uh, the finality of what was going to happen. If they didn't get this straightened out, they were going to send coach K off and as bad as the UNC loss was and in, in Cameron in his last home game, had they lost to Michigan state, not gotten out of Greenville again, uh, that would have been uh, an even worse finish. Yeah, it certainly seems like both. I mean, for both the teams you guys cover, both have kind of improved in different ways defensively. And you mentioned Palo. I mean, averaging through four games of a tournament, 18 and a half points, seven rebounds, nearly four assists. So certainly looking the part of a lottery pick right now. Yeah, he's got, um, you know, and he's only like a 30, 31 percent three point shooter for the season. But his three point shooting, he's hit some big threes in the tournament and he's taken them with confidence instead of maybe being tentative or looking to pass off. Uh, it's like, you know, 
take it. You, you know, you can make this shot and he'll be a better three point shooter when he gets in the NBA, but uh, they want him to go ahead and start doing it now and, and take those shots. And it's, it's really worked out. He's yeah, he, he he's helping out rebounding too. You mentioned the rebounding stats in, in the tournament. One of the things that that was hurting them a lot uh, was giving up offensive rebounds for baskets and uh, Mark Williams, you know, led the ACC in uh, shot uh, block shots. He's the all uh, ACC defensive player of the year. Sometimes he was, you know, attempting the block and then leaving, leaving the basket open and not getting back for the rebound if the shot got off. And Paulo has done a better job of sliding back in there and, and backfilling that and and getting getting that rebound so that uh, Mark Williams can have the freedom to make that move because Paulo is six ten and two fifty. So even though he has skills of a guard, he can get in there and bang inside too. And so that's that's an adjustment he's made. So yeah, he's uh, he's really you know a guy that can take over a game. And and they really do needs him to do that if they're gonna if they're gonna win it all this weekend. And it seems like Remy's kind of emerged as a guy for Kansas as well. Jesse is as you know, I remember the when we were at the Big 12 tournament, that first game he looked kind of uncomfortable and then just kind of seemed like something switched for him later in that tournament and has looked really good for the NCAA tournament. How big is that gonna be for him moving forward? Well, it gives him another weapon. I, I think Bill Self talked to this after um this past game against Miami, but he kind of saved KU in those two games where they were playing really tight and the, the Bill Self holdovers were the ones playing tight. You know, the, the Christian Browns, the Ochai Abajis, the David McCormick's of the world. I mean, they were, I mean, let's call it like it is for a while. They were scared to shoot. They were scared to make any plays. And then Remy came in and just started turning around, shooting fadeaways and, you know, off the dribble jumpers and making them. And KU was getting offense when they were running bad offense, but sometimes you just kind of need to keep the boat afloat. And that's what really what Remy did in those games. Uh, but Bill Self talked about this team gained confidence when Remy was out because they played without him and kind of shared the ball, played team basketball, uh, scored really well. Was They were great in transition. Um, so that was a really good development for them as they basically won the Big 12 title or shared it with Baylor without him. But then when he emerged in that Big 12 tournament and they saw what he could do when he was totally healthy – uh, it just gave them a different level and also a different level of confidence and emotion and energy because that's what he brings. I and mean, he's, he's a dude that plays with flair and he's, he's pumping up the crowd. He's trying to get guys going. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Kansas had a really good season, even when he wasn't in there, but this gives them a different dynamic when he is in there. And then not only that, you know, Bill Self is kind of one of those master tech when you get in these games because Remy didn't play much uh, against Miami. He was the most outstanding player of the regional, but he didn't play much in that game because, you know, Bill Self saw the matchup. They were doing well defensively. They gave up 15 points in the second half to Miami. So really no reason to put a guy out there who's one of your weaker defenders when other five guys are playing well and switching well and, and doing all those things you need them to do. So um, it, it makes Kansas dangerous because now one of the most dynamic lineups is playing those two point guards together, Dewan Harris and Remy Martin. Um, and those guys flying up and down the court, getting after teams defensively. But if that's not working, you can take one of those guys out, um, shift them to point guard, and you put you know Jalen Wilson in, and and all of a sudden you know you've got kind of a different sort of lineup that can score in the way that KU scored most of the season when when Remy was out. So uh, it gives Bill Self options, but it also keeps the rotation pretty tight. Which um, I mentioned this online, but look at all these teams. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of what the final four has become. Most teams that make the final four are teams that do not have a very deep bench. You get a tight rotation. 
You get used to your guys, you get a nice routine going, and then these long media timeouts, long half times help you in the NCAA tournament. And so Bill Self has kind of a really nice seven, eight man rotation right now. He doesn't kind of have to look outside that. So that's kind of what Remy has provided. And Coach Kidd is doing the same thing, just to, to jump in there on that on that very topic. Uh, yeah, they these veteran coaches who've been in the tournaments know you can play six or seven guys. I mean, Duke's really playing like six and a half because Theo John is the backup center to Mark Williams, and he only played 10 minutes or eight minutes in the last couple of games. So uh, Duke really has six guys, uh, Trevor Keels being the reserve that, uh, that they're going with. And I mentioned Joey Baker, the senior, earlier. He would get some minutes in the regular season. He would play some in the first half. He's a decent little three-point shooter. He's a real liability on defense. But but uh, his minutes have disappeared in the NCAA tournament because, again, they get the, the timeouts are three minutes long, lo- longer than during the regular season, and the timeout, the halftime's longer. So uh, you get that kind of rest. And, and, yeah, it's really down to a very tight rotation. I should mention, too, I think another really big deal is there are no home games technically in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. and these officials want to do everything possible to not have their hands on the result. So, if again, like KU Crane's a perfect example. I mean, Creighton goes in, they lose their big guy, Cockbrenner. They basically have five guys they can play, six if they're really desperate, and Creighton was not getting called for very many fouls. I mean, I know that was kind of what they did throughout the regular season, but, I mean, the officials go into this sort of knowing, like, if they give – three Creighton guys, two guys, two whistles right off the bat, then the whole story is going to be of the tournament is going to, or that tournament game is going to be the officials. So they want to do all they can, I think in the back of their minds to not determine these outcomes. So you use that to your advantage and you don't need more than about six or seven guys in most games. And that's how these teams have gotten here to the final four. We're going to take a quick word from our sponsors. Make the big moments possible with First Federal Bank of Kansas City's March Rate Special. Earn 0.55 annual percentage yield when you open a new 11-month certificate of deposit. Already bank with us? Get started by depositing $25,000 in new funds. New to First Federal? Join us with a $1,000 deposit. Learn more at ffbkc.com moments and meet our team at any banking center to open your account today. Visit ffbkc.com moments for more. First Federal Bank of Kansas City. Because banking is personal. Member FDIC. And I think it's going to be very interesting with this final four, with these programs to just see if a different strategy that's deployed. You've got three hall of fame coaches and then Hubert Davis getting into the final four in his first year, which we'll get into as well. But just looking at this final four lineup with, you know, these teams that are considered blue bloods, I guess you can kind of debate whether you consider Villanova a blue blood, but you know, one in 26, 16 and 18 and, you know, won two of the last five national championships because we're excluding 2020, of course. And so then, you know, Duke won at 2015, North Carolina won at 2017, Kansas, all-time wins. I mean, just what do you both think of just having these level of coaches, these level of programs in this tournament? Yeah, I, I think it's it's really a, a very historic event. Like when you talk about the level of, of program here, it's uh, – you know, we, we all attend the Champions Classic, right, Jesse, in the, in the start of the year. This is a Champions Classic. This is a different combination of teams, but it's definitely a Champions Classic with Carolina has six, Duke has five. The other two have three each, um, and they've all come, all of them have won or been in the Final Four in the last, you know, 10, 12 years here, right? I know Kansas 2008 for the championship, but they've been, you know, knocking on the door here, Final Four regular uh, over the last few years here. And I think Villanova, you have to include now in that list of blue bloods that they've made themselves. They're a modern, uh, and Florida state likes to say they're a new blood because they won the ACC last year and all that. So, uh, or a couple of years ago and they've become better. 
Villanova's kind of a new blood, even though they won in 85. But uh, uh, yeah, three Hall of Fame coaches and, you know, Hubert Davis in his first year getting Carolina to the Final Four has stamped his name on this program that he's going to continue what's what's happened since Dean, you know, Frank McGuire and Dean Smith and Roy Williams. And now Hubert stepped in and done it. And uh, what what a group we've got here. And I know everybody likes upsets in the tournament. We all love to see them happen. St. Peter's was one of the best stories we've had. Uh, but when it gets right down to it, uh, we'd like to see our brand names in the final four, I think, and, 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 and knocking heads. And uh, I think the sport kind of needs this, frankly, coming out of the pandemic and everything. The, the, the ticket prices are through the roof for this event. The ratings are going to be great. I just think it's wonderful for college basketball. Well, Steve, I'm going to blame you for the ticket prices because this Coach K little re- retirement <laughs> tour is bringing out all the Dukies to try to figure out which last game it's going to be for him. And right. uh, now they're secure. Like if I go buy tickets to these two games, one of those is his last game and I will be there. Uh, so I think they are driving up the market, in New Orleans. And I'm hoping to God that one of us finds a hotel room down there because I'm a little concerned for all of us. We might be, uh, you know, laying on Bourbon Street at some point, snuggled up to try to uh, make our way to the national title game. Um, you mean you haven't no, already done that? You haven't already laid on Bourbon Street? Oh, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> Oh, see, Steve is a veteran here of uh, many Final Fours and many Bourbon Streets, so um, maybe, maybe a little more experience in that regard than me. Uh, I did attend it, uh, covering it for Kansas. Uh, that's the weird thing about Kansas. I think it's the last four Final Fours in New Orleans. Kansas has made it, so I think they're about to petition New Orleans to host all of them. You know, like no more anywhere else, Minneapolis or all these other places, just New Orleans. You know, just keep it there. Uh, I'm sure that's what Kansas people are thinking right now. You know, I... I talked about the officiating um, earlier, and, and I'm not one about conspiracy theories and the NCAA president coming down and telling people what to do, but it was funny. We had this discussion in the media room at the United Center before the Elite Eight started. The Final Four could have been Arkansas, St. Peter's, Houston, and Miami. <laughs> and what do you think CBS would have thought about that? I mean... Um, again, Houston's got a great program. I mean, nothing against Kelvin Sampson, but again, you're talking about ratings, interest, like there still would have been the St. Peter's thing, but like, would people have gone to that event? Would it have felt like a final four? But the next words out of our mouth was, oh my gosh, look at this bracket. The final four could be Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova. And after all these upsets and after all the fun of the tournament and all the drama and everything that happened before this and teams going down, it has been a fun tournament. It's been an entertaining one. People have really enjoyed this one. Um, I, I just agree with you, Steve. Like, I mean, I, I know that both of us are going to cover it and it's fun to cover final fours. And obviously the fan bases that we cover or are around are very happy with how this thing has turned out, but there, it just is something about Duke, North Carolina, in the final four, Kansas Villanova in the final four. I mean, for all the upsets, for all the things that makes that exciting, what's really going to make the final four exciting is that it's not that it's, it's the best of the best showing up. And that's going to be must watch television for anybody who really cares about the sport. So uh, I think this is really cool. And uh, I think Kansas also Bill Stelf, he's got to be happy that some of, this, some of these teams got knocked off, you know, the Gonzaga's of the world, the Houston's potentially, but this also is probably close to 2008. Remember when all the one seeds made it and you want to talk about the blue blood final four. So Kansas made it now in 2022 back in 2008, UCLA, uh, North Carolina and Memphis. Now again, Memphis would be called a new blood, but John Calipari was there. So it wasn't like some, some bum coach off the sideline, a guy who you knew his trajectory was going up. So 
this should be great. I mean, yeah, buckle up. Let, let's get down there and let's play these games. Uh, it should be entertaining no matter uh, which team wins or which direction it goes. Right. And you look at North Carolina in there as, you know, a team that was an eight seed. I wasn't even sure that they were going to get out of the first weekend. I mean, you talked to me a couple months ago. I would have said you were crazy if you had North Carolina going to the final four. I mean, towards the end of January, this team was 12 and six had suffered blowout losses to Purdue, Tennessee, Kentucky, Miami, Wake Forest. I mean, and they're like questions about Hubert Davis. And now he's the first first year coach lead his team to a final four since uh, Bill Guffridge, also at UNC in 98. Uh, you know, Steve, you've seen this team pl- play throughout the year. And, you know, you're familiar with that program as, you know, someone who covers Duke. Just what are your thoughts on this run for Carolina and the job Davis has done to even get to a point where we're talking about this blue blood final four? Yeah, he he stuck with his plan and didn't waver from it. And and there were a lot of, you know, whenever you're taking over for a legend, you know, the guy that follows the guy thing, right? He was he was in a tough spot. And there were a lot of people saying a lot of things about his coaching style and, and all that when they were going through those struggles. And, you know, you look at late February, they lost at home to Pittsburgh, uh, one of the worst teams mm-hmm. in the in the ACC. And you know, we all thought that doomed may have doomed their bid. Like if they had to, they had to. At that point, they were going to have to win at, at at Cameron to get into the tournament. And after losing by 20 at home to Duke, a few people thought that was going to happen, uh, especially the people at Duke that planned that big party. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, that that um, that changed it. I mean, that they they got their confidence going at that point, and it really hasn't stopped. I know they lost to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament, but but uh, that's kind of been a blip on the radar here. They. Uh, uh, they were the eight, nine game, uh, against, uh, Marquette and they won that handily. They got the 25 point lead against Baylor with 10 minutes to go. And Brady Manning falls, falls out and game ends up in overtime with, you know, two, uh, one starter ejected, one starter fouling out. And everybody, I know a lot of people that following Carolina thought they were, they were done when it got to overtime. There's no way they could hang on to win that game. And then they gutted it out and, and got the win, uh, with, you know, guys making three pointers they hadn't played hardly all year. So it shows you um, the feelings, the camaraderie that team has and the confidence they've they've gained through this process uh, that that they got here. And and they're as good. They have as good a chance to win the sucker as anybody. They, they're playing great basketball. Yeah. So what are you expecting for that matchup with Duke? I mean, like we said, 258th meeting, first time ever facing the tournament. Coach K's last, Hubert Davis's first in, in terms of a Final Four. They split the meetings in the regular season. I mean, just so much going on with this matchup. What are you expecting for it? Yeah, double-digit uh, wins for each team on the other's home court. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, right? Uh, so, you know, the big thing, the first meeting was uh, Armando Baycott, uh, Carolina's All-ACC center. Uh, Hubert Davis decided to have him guard Paulo Bancaro man-to-man at the start of the game. Paulo's a much more, you know, uh, active player. He got Baycott got two fouls. He's out of the game. Duke builds up a huge lead and just runs away and wins it. So that was the that was the mistake that game. Obviously, the game in Cameron, Hubert decided, ah, oh, we'll have somebody else guard Paulo <laughs> and not have that happen again. And uh, and it worked out better for Carolina. Duke was playing really poor defense at the time. They 95, 94 to 81 was the final. They gave up over 50 points in the second half on their home court, which was just uh, you know a stunning development for them. So uh, I think if this we talk about the zone defense, had they decided to use that in that game instead of uh, being a little too prideful and thinking they could do it with man to man, maybe it's a different outcome. 
I think that gives Duke an advantage this time is that they're they're they have the tool in the in the toolbox and they're not afraid to use it. Whereas before, I think they were uh, too again too prideful to do that. So um, that's what I want. I want to see how they how the two teams you know both make changes and play that chess game along the way. Uh, but Brady Manick and Caleb Love are shooting much better from the three point line than they did like during the regular season. Manick had some moments. Love Love was very rare to have games like these he's had in the tournament and. He's really, they're both shooting well. So that gives Carolina really an inside outside with, with Baycott, who's a walking double, double uh, every game. So um, they've got a lot of firepower, but you know, Duke's been one of the better offensive teams all season long in, in Ken Palm and everything else you want to look at. So uh, I expect a game, you know, probably in the, the high seventies or low eighties, as far as points, even though Duke's playing better defense. I mean, it's just going to take, it's going to be that kind of game. Somebody's going to outlast somebody. They have to outscore them. I think. Yeah, I feel like you have to have a, a tighter game in this one than you had in either of those two first matchups, especially with being the stage and just the momentum that both these teams are on right now. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, uh, it, it'll be, you know, and, and Jesse mentioned the officiating. It's not in anybody's home court this time, right? Even though both teams won in the other's home court, it's a different crew. It won't be an ACC crew that they've had, you know, be mixed uh, – uh, uh, officiating groups. And so that'll make a difference too. I think that, you know, officials like to kind of swallow their whistles a little bit, like Jesse said, let the players decide it. So I don't think like Baycott getting two fouls early in Chapel Hill, that's probably not something that's going to happen. They're going to let the players decide this game and uh, uh, it, it'll be tight. I, I you know, I, I can't see it being another double. Of course, I wouldn't have thought it would be, be double digit margins the first two times but particularly in this one with the with the setup and everything and what's at stake I think you'll just see it's a very tight game from the Kansas side of things for this game Jesse is there a opponent that you think Kansas would should want to win this game or just from from your side of things what do you see happening here well I mean I, the way I always approach these things again if you're looking at it from Kansas's standpoint is just sort of looking at the best teams over the course of the season, you know, what have we seen from these teams and how is it going to look from a Vegas spread perspective if one team wins or the other. And I think it's pretty clear here that uh, if you're looking at it from a Vegas spread and I talk about Kansas having the margin of error potentially to play a little bit poorly or play a little bit tight and still be able to recover from it, they could do that much easier against North Carolina than Duke. I mean, that's probably uh, what's the spread in that one uh, for North Carolina Duke somewhere around three or four points. Uh, I, I think, think it's somewhere around four. Yeah. It's around four right now. Yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, that's, you know, your KU would be starting with a two layup advantage compared to facing Duke, basically uh, if you're looking at it in that sort of way. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Kansas fans, they'll be overjoyed if they get by that first game in Villanova and are able to make it. And uh, I it's, it's funny because, you know, us doing our jobs this way, it, it's just so different because I, I like to go through the numbers. I like to tell people what to look for in this regard. But whenever I do that on Twitter, I immediately get the blowback from Kansas fans like, don't overlook Miami. Don't overlook Villanova. And it's like, well, I'm a sports writer. Um, I can talk about this. I, I don't impact the team. And my paycheck comes every two weeks, whether Kansas wins or loses. Exactly. So it's, yes. it's just a little bit of a different perspective here. Um, you know, this is not trying to to jinx or reverse jinx or anything. Uh, and I'm also not on staff. So um, it's just sort of interesting when that happens. But to answer your question, Lila, since you asked it, and since I talk about it anyway, uh, yeah, Kansas fans, once that game ends, they'll want to be cheering for North Carolina. They'll not want to have Steve cover the national championship game if Kansas is there. Uh, they will much rather like 
going through Carolina potentially to get to a national championship because their odds will be a little bit more in their favor. So then with Kansas Villanova, obviously some huge news for Villanova coming out with Justin Moore suffering a torn Achilles, just so hard to see for, you know, to see that with any player and, uh, you know, to have it be on that stage and, and kind of that scene as they're celebrating and huddled around him. Um, he's a team's second leading scorer, third in rebounds, averaging 4.18.8 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists. I mean, that's certainly a huge blow. I mean, how much, Jesse, do you see that impacting this matchup? Yeah, so it's interesting. I've, I've done this in the past where I've called Vegas odds makers to say, hey, how much does this injury impact a team? And the, the example I always think of is Joel Embiid. I mean, we know he's like NBA superstar, potential Hall of Famer, but remember he was out for Kansas. I remember calling odds makers and saying, hey, how big of a deal is this for Kansas? You know, is this five points, 10 points? You know, what, what sort of thing is it? And I remember the answer shocked me because the guy's like, about a point. I was like, about a point? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Joel Embiid, you know what I mean? And he goes, look, Kansas, if you look at what they have in this game against Stanford, it was Stanford at the time, which they ended up losing, by the way. They have other big men. They have depth. They have other guys they can go to, and all those guys are at Kansas. You know what I mean? So if you have available options, the public probably overrates what these guys are worth. Here's the problem for Villanova, just like the problem for Creighton. That's if you have depth. <laughs> That's if you have guys behind them, mm -hmm. and Villanova doesn't. We, we talked about the, the bench and the, the teams in the Final Four right now not having much margin for error. Villanova's 323rd in bench minutes, and they've been playing the heck out of those guys. I mean, they they basically have a six-man rotation uh, before Justin got hurt. And so I, I saw, like, uh, Evan Miyakawa has a great site, evanmia.com. He just posted, uh, tweeted out uh, some numbers that, on based off his numbers, Villanova and his rankings dropped from 6th to 12th without Justin Moore in there. And again, I think that's not only telling you about what Justin Moore is, but it's telling you about, Hey, who is the backup? Who is the replacement for him? And for Villanova, that's a big step down. Just like for Creighton, when Ryan Cockburner went out, that was a big step down. And that's why it helped Kansas so much. And the line moved basically two to three points. So I could see this one moving two to three points. And I think based off of the advanced metrics that we see out there, you know, Ken Palm has KU by one. And I think the biggest spread is KU by four. So there's your answer. I mean, this is a big deal for him to be out of there. And again, if we're putting the little subscript on the, on the final four banner about Kansas, um, not only do we have to squeeze Ryan Cockbrenner in there, not being in for Creighton, but we got to squeeze Justin Moore, not being in there for Villanova, but we already went through this discussion. You know, you don't apologize if you're Kansas, but it's crazy that like, not only has this happened to Kansas, but it's happened to Kansas for that opposing team in the game before they played them. So like the team can't even like practice and start to get used to a different style. Kansas is playing them totally new when these coaches have to figure out something on the fly. So um, at least Villanova has a few more days rather than Creighton only having the one day to figure it out. But uh, yeah, this is a big blow to Creighton and a big blow to Villanova. And uh, that's why I think Kansas is more favored in this game than they would have been uh, potentially a week ago. Right. And so from what I've seen, you'll then put senior guard Caleb Daniels into the starting lineup who, you know, was playing kind of a, uh, more of a backup type role was one of their, you know, six guys off the bench. Maybe you see more of Justin Slater. I mean, I'm sorry, Brandon Slater in there. It'll, it'll be interesting to, you know, see how they decide to use everything. But I think that's such an exciting part, like we said, of this final four of these are coaches that are tacticians that know, you know, how to do this stuff and are going to throw something exciting at you. So, I mean, I wouldn't be 
I think you'd have Kansas favored in the, in this matchup just with that and, and with those depth things. But I mean, I'm sure we're going to see something interesting here from Jay Wright. Well, yeah. And real quick, it's, it's that chess match for Bill Self too, because mm-hmm. listen, the 2018 final four when KU played Villanova, what absolutely killed them. KU had a big man and Yudoka Azubuki was not comfortable outside the lane. Villanova's big men pulled him out, shot threes over him and just ran KU out of the building. What does KU have this year that has sometimes burned them at times? They've got a big man, Dave McCormick, who's a little bit injured with his foot, who mm-hmm. doesn't like to be pulled to the perimeter, and we saw Creighton take advantage of that. The flip side of that is what you saw at the beginning of the second half against Miami. Miami played small against Kansas. KU started dumping it to Dave McCormick. Miami had no answers, and then it started to be a foul fest. And so for Kansas, when you're facing a team that basically has five and a half, six bodies, what do you do with David? I mean, do you, do you play to Villanova's matchup, or do you say, look, Villanova's got to guard Dave too. And by the way, if he draws three or four fouls, Villanova's up a creek without a paddle. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't have anybody they can go to that they trust. So uh, that'll be fascinating. I mean, I, I think sometimes we overanalyze these matchups a little bit. And sometimes at the end of the day, you just want to get your best players on the court and let them decide the thing instead of going to your eighth or ninth or 10th best player to try to match up to a team that's not as good as you. But Having said that, I mean, I watched the 2018 Final Four game where KU did not make an adjustment quick enough and Villanova went bombs away and KU was out of that game before it started. So um, that will be something to watch in this game because we know Jay Wright's style. We know what he likes to do. He's been doing this, you know, before a bunch of other teams did. So um, which style will prevail and how much will Dave be in there and how much will KU play to him and how many fouls can he draw to put extra stress on Villanova? That's going to be a big part of this game and and how much Bill Self has to adjust in there to, to go away from what KU normally does. Right. And I mean, I think it's very likely, you know, we have these games, we end up with Duke, Kansas in a championship. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. And I, and I think it's a very fun narrative in itself. I mean, Coach K's first national title came in 91 against the Jayhawks. You can now have this be a matchup potentially for his last one. Uh, wh- what do you think about that possibility, Steve? Yeah, no, I think it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, they, they play again reference to champions classic every three years they they meet up in that event so it's not like they're not familiar with each other even though you know they didn't play this year duke played kentucky uh kansas played michigan state but uh yeah that would be a nice uh uh i guess alpha and omega to his career right <laughs> kansas and kansas again to wrap it up um so uh yeah i i would look forward to that matchup uh you know if it's villanova um you know you got again the new up and coming late latest latest best thing uh villanova went in a couple chapters since duke's last one and uh so the old uh, the, as coach k rested himself he called himself the old man the other day so the old man can go out you know slapping the new the new guy maybe before he before he departs the scene uh if that happens or you know jay wright can send coach k off into retirement with uh i'm the guy now you know uh, i'm the captain right that, that movie line so uh either one match would be good but duke and kansas would be a lot of fun for sure I think Jay Wright will appreciate you calling him the young guy, don't you think, at this point? I mean, for sure. I mean, compared uh, to Coach K, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of us are young guys compared to that. Uh, KU Duke 91, actually one of my first memories of watching um, Kansas, you know, way back in the day, that national title game. That was great. I, I do want to talk about me feeling old a little bit because I did see the ESPN graphic that said that Coach K is the first coach to take um, a team to final four in five different decades. So I was thinking, man, did he take one like in the sixties and the seventies? <laughs> and then I looked on the screen and go, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, no, he did nineties aughts, you know, or eighties, nineties, eighties, 
80s, 90s, 10s, aughts, 20s. And I'm like, oh, I've been alive all those decades. Oh, man. <laughs> I was thinking like it was further back, but uh, no, it, it was not further back. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, Bill Self treats every game like the Super Bowl. I mean, he already does this. And this is, I think, part of the reason sometimes why his teams are a little tight because he is so in tune on every possession and wanting to win every possession, doing every little thing right to try to win a basketball game. But I can tell you that 2018 Final Four game, when it was KU Duke, regional final, um, it just means a little more to him. And I cannot tell you how fired up you would be for that game. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, it's Kansas versus Duke. And in the media, he will absolutely say it's Kansas versus Duke and it's his players. And he's always does the right thing with deflecting. And when they win, it's always about him and his assistant coaches and the team, all that sort of stuff. I'm just telling you, there would be nothing that would fire him up more in this world than to face <laughs> Coach K for a national title and to do everything possible on every possession, whether spoken or unspoken, to try to outcoach him in his final game. So again, we'll see if it happens. And I'm telling you right now, Bill Self will never give you that quote as long as he lives. But I'm just telling you from watching him on the sideline, keep that in your mind. When those games happen and he plays a blue blood, when he plays a Hall of Famer, he is turned up to an 11. And I mean, that would be that would be so much fun for people to watch because he would be we're on podcast. He would be coaching his ass off. Yeah. (laughs) And he would be coaching his ass off because I know he coached his ass off in 2018 and took joy in every little thing that Kansas did to get advantage. Every corner three they got against that zone, that Duke zone that they set up scheme wise, he was loving it. And I'm telling you, he would love every little thing they could do against Duke if that national title game happened. And what's great about that is that, that, I mean, coach K is always looking for the edge and that's how he's, you know, put his career together. Right. And had the most wins and all that stuff. So uh, he would be doing it just as hard in the other direction. And that's, that would make the two of them would, would revel in that. They, they want the other guy to bring his best and to be doing his best thing. And uh, yeah, the theater of that would be, would be magical. Yeah. I think that would certainly be a really fun matchup to have there. And, and, you know, I just think it's kind of crazy. We're at this point, I was saying all year, I didn't think that Duke would get to this point. And, you know, now they're here, have a really good shot at that national title. I mean, Kansas Right there, too. I mean, like I said, I think those are the two most likely teams to get to that national title. But I'll I'll kind of end on on a fun note here with a question to both of you. We have had some upsets, some really exciting games. We've not had a true buzzer beater in this tournament yet. Do you see a buzzer beater coming in one of these final games? And if so, of the players on those remaining four teams, who do you think is most likely to hit one? So I'll start. I'd, I'd love to see it. Right. Just the, the drama of it. And uh, I'm going to go with Jeremy Roach. I'm not going to go with Bancaro, even though he's the guy who have a, the ball in his hands, probably. And somebody will try to stop him, maybe. But Jeremy Roach is, is a guy that's come on later in the season. He wasn't a great shooter throughout the year. He was, he was in and out of the lineup, but he's hit some huge shots for Duke in this tournament. And uh, it just feels like it's destiny for him to make that kind of shot if it's Duke that does it. Well, it's an easy answer over here. I mean, it's not what you would have said a month ago, but Bill Self handed his oars to uh, Remy Martin. So um, if it's going to be late game, if it's going to be a shot needed, and KU remains some of those other guys as hesitant as they've been, I'm telling you what, they've been looking to Remy, and Remy's delivered at some crucial times. So um, it's kind of like that old saying, let go and let God. It's kind of like right now Bill Self is like, (laughs) let go and let Remy, you know, so – I think if KU has a shot down the stretch 
And this would not have been the answer for about five months of the season. But right now I think it's let God and let Remy. So um, I think he would turn the ball over to him and see what happened because he saved KU in this tournament so far and he makes tough shots and he could probably make another one with the game on the line. So I think if KU gets to that point, that's where they're headed. I think we need that on, on a shirt. It seems like a saying that should be on a Kansas shirt. We'll get that NIL going for Remy on that one. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was going to be who I was going to say, too. I mean, I was kind of leaning towards Colin Gillespie just because, I mean, he's shown the ability to do that throughout his career. But I just don't I just can't see Villanova winning that game without Justin Moore. So then I think my then default from there would also be Remy Martin. I feel like he's going to be a guy that's willing to let it fly or or maybe Ochai with, you know, this being his senior year kind of last shot at it and, you know, going to the league regardless. I, I could see that happening as well. But regardless, I think we have a really exciting final foreign store guys safe travels to new orleans and thanks so much for coming on and thanks to everyone at home for listening thanks a lot